JSM editorial team. It is my pleasure today to introduce Dr. Jackie Whitaker. Dr. Whitaker is a Canadian-trained physical therapist and currently works as an assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Her main research interests lie in musculoskeletal rehabilitation, and in particular, she aims to prevent and reduce the burden of knee OA in individuals following traumatic knee injury. So I've asked her to join me today because of her considerable experience in delivering online education for both entry and graduate level physical therapy programs in Canada. Welcome and thanks for joining us, Dr. Whitaker. No problem, thanks for having me. So given the very sudden worldwide shift in our daily lives towards various levels of social distancing, isolation, lockdown, what have you, uh, many sports medicine researchers and educators, of course, are scrambling to transition to an online education platform so that we can maintain some level of normalcy for our students, ensuring that they still can receive a quality education. So you have um, a fair amount of experience doing this. I wonder if we could just start by you telling me kind of what your background is in delivering education in an online uh, format. Sure. Um, well, I guess probably the, the main experience I have is I taught a course called Diagnostic Imaging for Physiotherapy Practice for six years. And that course was taught entirely online for that full six years. And so I learned a lot and the course evolved a lot over the six years. So I've, I've, I've got some experience in that. Um, and I've also taught um, prior to being at the University of British Columbia, I was at the University of Alberta. And at the University of Alberta, our physiotherapy program is a distributed program. And it's taught with students in three different geographical locations, which means that everything we teach is taught online. Um, although we are lucky to have clinical facilitators, clinical faculty at each one of the sites that helps to facilitate things like labs, et cetera. Um, so those are sort of my main experiences. But what I would say is that my past experiences, although hopefully helpful and relevant, are very different to what we're, we are all being asked to do right now in the sense that I had time to plan what I was going to do. What, what content was best for online, how I might go about um, using online technologies to improve the learning environment. Um, and I think that really what we're all being forced to do right now is just figure out how the heck we're going to get the content to the students so that they can graduate when they need to graduate, um, et cetera. So I think there's some things hopefully I can, I can talk about that will be helpful for people. But um, I, I think that we are in a, in a really unique situation, which, as always, provides us with some opportunities that we haven't had before, but also some challenges. So maybe we can just start with some of the different platforms that you've experienced. I, I imagine that uh, at different institutions they have uh, platforms already in place, and then if you're doing personal education, you might be able to have some flexibility in what you what, what platform you choose. Can you comment a little bit about sort of your experience and what might you recommend? Yeah, so absolutely. If you're at an institution, chances are your institution will have a, a learning management system. Some of the, the, the bigger, more common ones are Canvas, E-Class or Moodle, um, and then other institutions have, have recently started using Zoom. The things about Canvas and Moodle that are nice is that there's a way to also organize your class. So there's pages, and you can set up different modules, and then you can have links in those modules to videos, to online uh, lectures that are happening live to assignments, to discussion boards, those sorts of things. Whereas with Zoom, it's really much more of a, it's just a platform to either record or and then post that link somewhere else or to have synchronous 
online uh, lecturing or, or, or conversations. Um, so there's, there's sort of those larger learning management systems. And then there are, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, tons of different apps um, and, and, and other resources that we can use um, sort of alongside of those learning management systems to try to facilitate the delivery of some of these content. So, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, really what you end up using will probably be driven to a large degree by what the learning management system of your institution is. However, if you don't belong to a, uh, an institution, let's say you're delivering content more in the community or to people that have already graduated from a program or your institution has sort of left that decision up to you, then probably your best bet is going to be to go with something like Zoom because it's something that we can all access. You can actually have a, a free account. There's some limitations on what you can do with a free account, but it's something you can access and get going on quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the platform that somebody uses will really depend on their individual situation. Yeah, okay, thanks. So when you're using these different platforms, I mean, I'm thinking from a physical therapy education standpoint, and I know that that would translate to a lot of different sports medicine-related um, uh, uh, fields, there's a big difference between lecture-style delivery or d delivery of you know textbook-type information and then actual practical or hands-on information. And I wonder if, if, if you could comment on sort of what your experience is or, or what you, how you think we might be able to approach um, these two different uh, types of education? Yeah, so very, very good question and, and a challenging question to answer with respect to the practical piece. But I think the first thing everyone's got to understand is that there's really sort of two ways you can deliver content online. You can do it synchronous or asynchronous. And so synchronous would be sort of like what we're doing right now if we had our videos turned on in the sense that we would both be present in a virtual room at the same time and maybe someone could be delivering content, someone could be re receiving content, someone can be asking questions, someone else can be answering questions or there, there can be a conversation going on. That would be synchronous. The other way to do it would be asynchronous. And an example of that might be a situation where um, as an instructor, I post a recorded video or I post some reading assignments, maybe some links to some online material or to an open access um, journal article. Um, I assign reading from a textbook or something like that. And then you would, the, the student would, 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 go through that material when they had time to go through the material and when it was best suited for them. And so we would be accessing the content asynchronously and not at the same time, if that makes sense. So when it comes to sort of that traditional, I guess, content, what you think you might deliver traditionally through a lecture style approach, um, I think you've got a, a couple options. You can either do, you know, a lot of my colleagues right now are basically just opening up a Zoom chat room or going into Canvas and using their Collaborate Ultra platform and they're hosting a lecture just like they would with if, if they were doing it in person. So 80 students are calling into the room, they're sharing their PowerPoint presentation, they're speaking to their PowerPoint presentation, they're leaving a little bit of, of room at the end of the, the class for some questions and that's that. So in a way that that really doesn't change. It's really just learning how do you use the platform to deliver your PowerPoint presentation and learn a little bit about the chat um, function and those sorts of things. So that that's fairly straightforward. Now that 
you know, is one way you could do it. That may not work for everybody though right now because people are in different situations. A lot of our students have gone home. They're not in Vancouver physically anymore. They've gone back to their families. So time zones are different um, and situations like that. People also may be caring for other people in their family. And so they may not be able to attend a lecture that's happening right now. And that's where pre-recording small lectures or small bits of content and posting them for them to be able to access at a time that works well for them is also another option. And then you can follow that up with sort of the, the question answer piece. One of the biggest differences between teaching online and teaching in person is you really have to make an effort to have somewhere for the student to raise their voice because clearly it's, it's not as simple as just putting up your hand in a classroom. And so typically if, if you're gonna do something like that asynchronously, you're going to need to have some sort of virtual class hours or, or office hours where you can connect one-on-one -on -one with students or Perhaps something that I've used a lot, which I found to be really useful, is you might say, okay, at this time on this day, we are going to have a one-hour session where I'm going to maybe answer some questions at a particular content. Maybe use an app, something like Slido. I don't know how many of our, of our listeners are, are, are um, familiar with Slido, but it's an app where students could, say, post questions about a specific content area that they have. And students can also vote on whether they think that question is also relevant to something they want to know. And then basically we all log on and the instructor can use the, the questions that are at the top of the Slido feed to get a real sense of what the students still need to have a little more information about to understand a concept. Um, so, th so there's a lot of ways that you can kind of do that sort of material that you would traditionally cover in a lecture environment. Um, pretty straightforward. I mean, the other way you could sort of supplement that as well if you wanted them to be doing some critical thinking around lecture content, maybe having a discussion board, posting a case, having um, students have to post an answer to some specific questions about that case. A lot of the learning management systems will have a function in their discussion rooms where if I'm a student, I can't see anyone else's posts until I actually make a post. And that way, you know, everyone has to actually formulate a, 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 an answer to a question and they can't just sort of build off everyone else's questions. But then once they've formulated their question and they've submitted it, they can see how others have answered. And then you can start to have a discussion that starts to develop on that. So that's another way that you can kind of you know, cover, I guess, that didactic sort of um, the material that we would typically, you know, instruct in that way. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to the practical side, it's really interesting. And, and I think there's a lot of people thinking about this right now. The one thing I would say that you need to do is when you end up in a situation like we're in right now is you've kind of got to go back and you've got to go, okay, what content do I still have to teach this term or this year? And what assignments do I still have? And what exams do I still have? And which of those are most suited for online instruction? And which of those do I know that I, I'm really not sure I'm going to be able to do online? And I think you have to think about shifting maybe the order with which you're delivering content. And I know a lot of programs, I know our program is definitely doing that and trying to figure out, you know, for instance, when this all hit, our students, our, our secondary students were all, all out on clinical placement and they were not allowed to continue with their clinical placement. So we've had to shift very fast to try to start delivering some of the classroom-based stuff you know, now so that maybe in September when that was supposed to be delivered, we'll have an opportunity for them to go back into clinical placements. So I think some of it is evaluate what can be taught virtually and what can't be taught virtually. 
I think there's, um, you know, and, and then when it comes to teaching, um, I guess, skills where we're interacting with patients, some of the things that are easier to do online, if, if uh, students are maybe, you know, self-isolating or physically distancing alone and not with another human being around them, or maybe only with family members around them, is a lot of our skills around communication. So motivational interviewing is something that can be done between dyads or pairs of students or in small groups, um, teaching them how to do some brief action planning skill sets, um, doing some clinical reasoning. So maybe using videos either of patients that you may have had for other content um, and then setting that up as, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a, you videoed yourself doing a clinical assessment of a patient. Um, you can voice over that and say what your findings are. And then you can ask a series of questions related to that mm -hmm. and have them kind of clinical reason through that. So I have a question uh, in follow-up to a couple of things you've mentioned. You, it sounds like there are some sort of checks and balances built into the platform so that you can kind of monitor student engagement. But for those, you know, who, I mean, I've been in meetings where I was, you know, checking an email and suddenly I've missed what somebody just said, right? And so how do you, how do you sort of gauge that people are engaged and, and gauge their learning remotely? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it goes back to this piece that you have to create a space for the student's voice. So if you just did, you know, if you just did the, the easy approach, which I think a lot of us are doing because we've got so much content to move and try to do, which is I'm going to schedule a class at 9 a.m. on Monday. Everyone's going to call in and I'm going to present a PowerPoint presentation as I would if they came to class. How do you know if they're listening? How do you know that they're not checking their email? Well, I mean, you can't really know. But I think one of the, the, the biggest things that has to happen is that as an instructor or maybe as the head of a program, there needs to be some conversation with the students at large, just letting them know that this isn't business as usual and that we're all in this together and that the goal is we want to create a very valuable learning environment. And the only way that that's going to be done is if people are actually engaging. Um, so that's one way. The other way is if you do it asynchronously, a lot of these learning management systems will allow you to be able to know how, you know, who's watched a video and how long they watched the video for. Um, and so you can get a sense of did they actually fully watch the video or not. Um, they'll have to check off whether they've done certain content. They'll have to maybe participate in a discussion room, contribute one or two posts. Those posts have to be meaningful. Um, you might give out small, you know, amounts of credit um, for their grade, for participating in discussion groups, completing all the um, videos, those sorts of things. So there's a variety of ways you can do it. I would say probably the thing, the way that I've found it most, um, I found over the six years that I taught the one course I was talking about to be the most valuable is to create small groups within the classes that have their own discussion boards, giving each group sort of an assignment around content that they need to discuss and bring back questions maybe to a larger group um, and giving giving them sort of the responsibility of covering, covering material, integrating and understanding that material. And then perhaps, like I said, you know, doing a small one or two question assignment at the end of the week where they just need to answer that um, as a way to know that they've actually covered the material that week, et cetera. And then I guess when we go on to uh, examining students, how do you, like, are, there must be some some tips and tricks that you have around, I don't know, making sure that that people are being honest when they're writing their exams, what kind of timelines they have, do you do it, like, synchronously, asynchronously, et cetera? 
Yeah. So the way that I've always done it is I've done it asynchronously. So I would have an exam. They would say have two hours. So as soon as they clicked on the exam, they would have two hours to complete it. So once they started it, they would have two hours to complete it. Um, and you yeah, trust that they're not all sitting in the room together and answering the questions together. I think in our current situation, that's less of a concern because right. they're probably not doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and yeah, you know, you can ask questions sort of in a traditional multiple choice way or short answer way. You can even use case studies. There's no problem with loading up videos in a lot of these learning management systems and having a, a patient history actually occur between a patient and a therapist, um, whether that be mock or whether that be real, if you have consent from a patient to use that and then pose some questions related to that. Um, some of the advantages of the, obviously the multiple choice questions is that the learning management system can obviously market itself um, when it comes to the short answers, case studies, and essay type questions. As an instructor, you're going to have to spend your time going through that. But that's no different than what we would typically do. Um, so yeah, that's one of the biggest things. One of the things I will add is I know that it was a, always an issue year after year is you really want to make sure that they, so what I would do is I would give them sort of a, an eight hour, any eight, Within any eight-hour period, yeah. they had two hours to write the exam. Does that make sense? So between 8, let's say, 9 a.m. in the morning till 4 p.m. in the afternoon, they could log on. But once they logged on, they only had two hours. It's important to do that during business hours, and it's important to do that knowing that your IT staff is available for any, any troubleshooting because the odd time students will have problems with the exam or the platform while that's happening, and that can obviously be really stressful for them. So, you know, it's not great if they're doing it at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night because they're probably not going to have a lot of support. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Is there anything else that you um, think would be really particularly relevant in the context of the current pandemic as far as challenges for really quick transitions to an online platform? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that I would say that I learned over the period of time is that when you switch to online, instructors spend a lot more time emailing and communicating with students um, because they have questions and they're going to reach out by email. And I think it's really, really important early on for the instructor to set some guidelines around that. Do you want to do one-on-one -on -one answers and questions? Or would you rather that any questions that be asked be shared amongst the entire group so that you're not having to retype the same content over and over and answer? So I think it's really, really important to set those expectations up front. There's really two ways you can do it. You can do it one-to-one -one or you can do it in a larger group. I definitely found over the years that doing it in a larger group was by far the most beneficial, not only for myself because I spent less time doing it, but I was also, I think, able to develop more fulsome answers for students. But I also think that as we always do, there are students that will ask questions and there are students that won't. And if the student that isn't asking the question isn't part of that larger discussion, they'd also don't benefit from, from the content that you prepare. So I'm a big fan of having, you know, Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. for an hour, we're going to have a chat. It's going to be on this particular topic. Can you please submit your questions by Slido by Thursday at 4 p.m.? That gives me 12 hours to sort of get a sense of what their questions are, what needs to be prioritized, which content I might want to just review because clearly there's been some miscommunication. Um, and then having people log on and access that 
If they can't log on at that time, most of these platforms will give you an option to be able to record the session. You can then post the URL for that recording and students that weren't able to come on for whatever reason can review it then. It saves you a ton of time and I think um, it also allows for the students to actually get get the answers or get the discussion or, or realize where they need to continue to go with their learning to fully understand a concept. Fantastic. Great. Thank you. Is there any last points that you'd like to make? No, I think what I will do, I've um, preparing for this, I've, I've started to pull some things together. There are definitely some communities of practice out there right now that are working really hard on this and sharing information. Um, and I, I, can, I can pass along some of that and perhaps some of those links can be posted. I think probably the biggest challenge when it comes to teaching the practical stuff is going to be having access to videos and instructional videos. And I think if there was a way as a community, we could figure out how we could maybe share some of that content, it would be very helpful for people. Um, and like I said, there's a few communities of practice that have started to do that. So perhaps I will I will uh, pass those links along and we can make them available and, and, and perhaps people can continue the conversation in some of those communities. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Whitaker. I think that's really helpful for the listeners. Perfect. No worries. Yeah. And thanks to you, the listeners of BJSM Podcast, for joining us. And we hope you have a physically active day.